Guys, 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 wait, wait, wait. Before we start, I never, ever get to start the show. It's always Bill. It's always me, 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 me. I'm Billy Ray Mitchell. Look at me. I'm so cool. No. Today, I am starting the show, and I'm reading a hokey haiku that I wrote. So here it goes. Knock yourself out. Foster's defense rules. Wake Forest offense is lame. Blue Gatorade bath. You're welcome, everybody. Nice. That one's straight off the top. Guys, how awesome was that yesterday, man? I got to say, I couldn't – I'm – like you say, Grayson, it just makes your week better. It makes your day better. It changes your outlook on life. How are we feeling right now, fellas? It's actually like – it's so sad. Shout out to my buddy Kyle Cooper. He texted me after the game, and he's like, it's actually ridiculous how much Virginia Tech football and the outcomes of the games – affect my the overall quality of my week and my life like for the next seven days and i think that that is so true because now now that we've won guys i am just giddy with excitement i'm just so happy like i've had the best day today and i like yesterday or last sunday i was so depressed i'm, I'm sure you guys feel the exact same way pat how do you feel man that was terrific. Um, the way I'm feeling about yesterday's performance is that uh, through the 2000s, that is what Virginia Tech football was when an ACC opponent would come to town. They would get beat on all sides of the ball, and that's exactly what we did. That's exactly what happened. Um, it was it was just like, all right, an ACC team came in, and we took care of business, and let's do it again next time it happens. Uh, I, I'm pretty fired up. It was awesome, and uh, we we really just played a complete game, all 360 degrees. Could some, not agree more. Some something that we've been fired up to do, and something we've been dropping a little bit, and haven't really put a tagline onto it. And uh, to take to take uh, the words from Pat here, uh, let's zoom out a little bit and talk about some hokey history here. Everybody here, more so Grayson and Pat, to be completely honest, have been following Virginia Tech for you know over a decade now, uh, and Pat. This was a historic hokey history uh, moment here. Can you run down uh, what we're looking at in terms of just what this win means to this program? This was huge. Uh, being in the fact that we have not defeated a ranked opponent at Lane Stadium in over a decade. Ten years. I was 14. You guys were 13 years old. Uh, and... A lot of things were things were very different in 2009 when we beat uh, Miami 31-7 in a monsoon. Um, so if we take a walk down memory lane here, this is not the memory lane that we really want to go down, but I think it'd be a, a good little anecdote, um, you know, to address. You know, let's talk about every single ranked team that has come to Lane uh, since 2009 and what has happened, and then uh, you know since we beat Wake. Uh, we feel a lot better about going down memory lane here. but um, So, yeah, 2011, Clemson comes to town. Taj Boyd, uh, that guy Branch, defensive end, crushed Logan Thomas all night. They were ranked number 13. They smoked us, 23-3. Uh, to three. 2012, Florida State was ranked number 8. They come in on a Thursday night uh, late in the season. It was freezing cold. 
they beat us 28-22. That was EJ Manuel's team. And that was a uh, last-minute pass to Rashad Green streaking down uh, the middle. And he beat Kyle Fuller and uh, scored with like a, a minute left, I want to say. That was a bummer. 2015, Ohio State comes in, ranked number one, defending national champs. We beat them the previous year. Brad Paisley concert the night before. Uh, Sunday night of Labor Day weekend, we play them. Well, I think it was Orange Effect. We have the chrome orange helmets. And Michael Brewer balls out first half, gets hurt first drive of the second half. And then Braxton Miller, spin move. Michael oh Thomas God. jukes Kendall Fuller out of his ACLs, and we lose 42-24. 2015 again, Duke comes to town on homecoming, ranked number 23. They beat us in four overtimes, 45-43. to 43. Huge bummer. Uh, that was just a very upsetting day. 2015, again, Frank Beamer's last game, uh, senior day. Number 12, North Carolina comes to town. They're 10-1. and one. Uh, They're the hottest team in the Coastal. And they beat us in overtime, 30-27, to 27, uh, on a play that I think um, their receiver didn't actually catch it. Uh, that's, that's still... Uh, being evaluated in my mind 30 to 27 2017 everyone knows clemson comes to uh comes to town clemson uh had college game day at torque bridge was awesome um and they smoked us 31 17 2018 notre dame comes in ranked number six uh this was a couple weeks after we'd lost to old dominion we had play an awesome first half, lose 45-23, stripe the stadium, looked absolutely insane. Hope we do that for Penn State next year. 2018 again, Boston College, number 24, beats us 31-21, just out-physical us. And uh, those were the eight games between now and 2009 where we had been defeated at Lane by a ranked opponent. But last night, Wake Forest... Jamie Newman, number 22, come to town, and we took care of business, 36-17, and here we are now. So where did where did everyone watch? Where did you guys watch? Speaking uh, <laughs> from myself, my bad, Grace, I didn't mean to talk over you. No, go ahead, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I went to the Harp yesterday, um, and I was expecting all the games to be on. The Harp had on – the Harp in Boston had on – the Alabama game across, and I asked him multiple times, like, excuse me, ma'am, I understand there are like, hundreds of people in here that all want Guinnesses, but I would really appreciate if you could just throw on ACC Network in the corner. And she kind of hit me with a, oh, I'll ask my manager. And it actually never, never ended up happening. So I, I threw my phone up, uh, pinned it up against the water cup, uh, threw the game on there and watched it on the phone. Alabama LSU was on and then went ahead and rewatched the game twice. Um to to be with the times here, but uh, I guess you can say I watched it with the harp. Got able to link up with Calvin Klein, uh, former Hokie that finishes his finished his career at Texas A and M. Was great to link up with him as well. Um, so that was awesome to see him. Um, but that's where I watched. Um, Pat, where did you watch? Yeah, so I uh, I was in Section Five. Big shout out to all the Section Five folks. Um, that place is a party. My season tickets are in Section 17, uh, but next year I am definitely joining the ranks of Section 5. Got to give some shout-outs here. Shout-out to Bryce Chalkley, Macy McLean, uh, John Barlow and Callie, the Barlow family, Dave Naus, Trey Geralds and his father Bill, and Nancy, who I met 
um, yesterday, or actually met her at the Carolina game. She is a listener. Shout out, Nancy. Uh, Section 5 is a party. It was awesome down there. Uh, we had a great time. We were dancing all afternoon, and that was a blast. I actually owe a lot of respect to the folks who do the day trip down from Northern Virginia. Uh, I did that for the first time ever. Was on the road at 5.55 a.m. from Arlington. Got into Blacksburg right around 10. Uh, had a nice tailgate at the German club. A lot of Chick-fil-A was consumed. And then uh, hit the road at about 8.30 Eastern time and was in my bed by 12.30 a.m. Sunday morning. Day tripper. Wow. Uh, lived the life. And uh, I'll, I'll do it again. When we win the games like that, the day trip is worth it. But uh, it was an absolute blast. So happy that uh, I made the day trip with uh, co-pilots Ryan Hartman, Hayden Cleek. Another shout-out. But, uh, hey, Grayson, what about you? I, uh, I watched the game at Jocks for Dailies, man. You know where I'd be. You know where <laughs> I'd be at, because there's not really any other place to watch it out here. Uh, we had our biggest crowd of Hokies yesterday. It was awesome. Shout-out to Eric Avazar. This was his grand vision. At the very beginning of the season, it was just he and I and maybe like two or three other people doing this. Yesterday, there was probably 25 to 30 Hokies in that in that place Boom. going crazy. It was dope. There was a, there were a couple of people who were in town visiting uh, from D.C. Uh, who had heard about it, and they showed up. So, I mean, we're everywhere, man. Hokie Nation is a live, breathing entity. Um, and that's, uh, that's, where, that's where I was. Doesn't really, doesn't really change for me, you know. <laughs> let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about the game itself. Um, I'm just going to run through some things that I thought we did really, really well. Um, in terms of, we ran a lot of dump-offs and a lot of wrinkles that uh, we hadn't seen throughout the season. Pat, you were alluding that to that as well. And also, in, in terms of just kind of this week versus last week, obviously, Hennon Hooker is back. Hennon Hooker was great. Um, six receivers had catches yesterday in, uh, in comparison to just three uh, the week before. So we were spreading the ball around. And again, Hendon Hooker had was dripping with confidence. Uh, the guy gets better every week. You could tell that the team is rallying behind him. They were alluding to that press game co- or post game uh, press conferences, which was great. Pat, what did you see? Hendon was outstanding, um, and so was our defense. But uh, if we want to talk about the offense first, um, I think that we were really burning up the clock. Our first drive of the game, even though it ended in a field goal, uh, was almost ten minutes long. Um, I think we left some points on the board in the first half. I I think we played a little bit conservative at some points. Um, and you know, it really hurts fumbling, um, on when you're, when you're essentially, uh, knocking on the door to score a touchdown, you got to have a long third and 19 and then you're kicking a field goal when you should have had a, a touchdown there. But, um, I thought the running game was outstanding. I thought we got everyone involved, and Trey Turner, McLeese, Keyshawn King, James Mitchell, uh, you know Tavion Robinson, it, the offensive line, like the offense was just clicking on all cylinders. At high at halftime, we were outgaining them by like 150 yards. We just weren't you know converting when we needed to, uh, which thankfully we did in the second half. But we looked great in the first half as far as moving the ball, moving the sticks, and getting into the red zone. Aside from those two, uh, or that that um, that fumble by Hooker, it was a a very good offensive half. Um, 
despite a few conservative play calls. But as far as moving the ball, we were definitely able to do that. Honestly, I I agree with all of that, Pat. I, I think the that we were moving the ball well in the first half. And it, may, it makes me wonder, part of uh, Fuente's game plan – uh, was it seemed to be at least keeping Wake Forest offense off the field for as long as he could. I remember they showed a uh, a banner at the bottom right of the screen at one point, and it's it showed the time of possession difference for the first half. And we, I think our top in the first half was like sixteen minutes, something like that, and then Wake Forest was only four minutes. So that was absolutely insane. And when their offense isn't on the field, they can't do any damage to us. Um, we were moving a little bit slow. I understand wanting to keep Wake Forest offense off the field, but uh, the, the, the fumbles were frustrating in the first half. The, the bad snap to Hooker before his fumble down on the other end in the red zone, uh, it was funny. I talked, to, uh, I talked to Logan Ross about this, and the postgame presser, um, somebody asked him, was that a, was that a bad snap? And Hooker just said, no, nah, I just, I just didn't catch it. And he just owned up to it. He was like, I just didn't catch it. Um, and it, it seems as though going into the second half that somebody, uh, might've had a couple of words with him and said, you better hang on to that dadgum ball. Because sure enough, when we ended up making our first red zone trip right out of the gate, uh, somebody tried to strip the ball from Hooker and he had that thing wrapped up like the freaking Hope Diamond at the Smithsonian Museum. I mean, <laughs> nobody was getting in there. Nobody was getting in there. Uh, so I, I really do think that either Cornelson or Fuente said, Dad, gummit boy, ball security. Can't win this game if we have a bunch of turnovers. And from that point out, we didn't have any issues. In terms of, uh, of of really you know controlling the clock and everything, we had 228 yards rushing yesterday, um, averaging 4.75 yards a rush, second most all season behind the UNC Marathon football game. So that was extremely impressive. Another another note from the run game as well is um, people or what really I've came to notice is. Deshaun McLeese inside the five yard line is is money in the bank. Like this dude gets this dude gets the job done. He's a short yard back. Um, he doesn't play at his size. He's shifty, makes the first guy miss. He's patient with holes as well. He's not always bouncing it outside. He tries to you know wait for the blocks to develop and then get up in there, which has been great. Um, but again, Pat, just speak to the importance of having. Hendon Hooker back. I mean, what a difference that man makes just having him under center or behind center since we're not going under center. He's undefeated, boys. Think He's about that. He's 4-0. He's 4-0. He was outstanding. He gives us such a new dynamic, um, whereas he's really good at us- utilizing the tight ends. He's really good at um, using his running backs out of the backfield with any type of dump-offs or screens. Um, in that first half, we, you know, us in Section 5, we did want to see him air it out and throw it down the field a little bit more, but uh, when he wasn't doing that, he was – taking advantage of what he had in front of him. Um, even even operating um, the, the jet sweeps. I mean, the jet sweeps were fantastic yesterday. It, and I think one of the reasons uh, that we're really working those well is because we've taken, um, we've taken probably two or three jet sweeps out of our, um, out of our offensive game plan. I feel like we 
kind of uh, were very watered down with jet sweeps at the beginning of the year. And now it's like, okay, we'll do two, three, four a game, and we're going to pick up the first down move the sticks. But uh, in addition to that, he was fantastic in the run game. Um, any type of option type play, or if he didn't see anyone open and wanted to pick up a couple, he was doing that. That first half, he did that crazy spin move to avoid a sack, and we all kind of had to pick our jaws up off the floor. But, I mean, he just he just brings so much to the table, and it is great to have him as Captain Hook here. I got to say, another thing that has been extremely impressive, and we alluded to this last week, um, is these meaningful ga- football games that we have played in all year, regardless of coming out last week on the losing end of that or the UNC coming out on the winning end of that, these meaningful games all kind of came to fruition yesterday. We're entering the fourth quarter. We're up six. We just got the ball back from our defense who played balls out. And then first play into the fourth quarter, James Mitchell gets a dump-off play that goes for 30 yards. Uh, he had a convoy of Christian Derrissaw, Hazleton, and Caleb Smith out there blocking down the field. And uh, the fourth quarter, in all reality, was dominated by the Hokies. Um, and, you know, Grace, and I know you're fired up to talk about this. Just talk about the vice grip that was uh, the lunch pail defense yesterday. It was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, what a way to honor Bud Foster. We knew it was his day uh, going in. They they hung up the banner for him. What? How special is that? I mean, he, he had tears in his eyes, and a, a bunch of other Hokies did as well. Uh, and I got to tell you, we all saw it. His boys showed out for the man. That was, I think, in my calm, objective opinion, I think that is one of the best defensive performances, definitely this season, but probably over the last three or four seasons. Um, the the DBU, man, like our, our secondaries had problems in recent years. Uh, in with blown coverage and pe- not being able to break up passes, but the boys were on it yesterday. Caleb Farley has played lights out coverage all year long. He's really grown into himself. Chapman stepped up with uh, Jermaine Waller being out for the first half. Waller bit on a couple, but he was getting he was he was getting uh, warmed up when he came back in. Uh, but played great the rest of the evening. Um, linebackers were all over the field. Dax Hollifield had, had an interception, uh, Crawford, big 36. I love it. I love that. Uh, he wears 36 on the defensive line. That's hilarious <laughs> out here having a, a big, a big boy interception. Um, they, they swarmed Pat, you and I spoke on the phone yesterday after the game, they swarmed like Corey Moore said, let them know we swarm all night long and the boys were all over the field. And, and, I tell you, man, I hope we can get somebody who replaces Bud Foss. I mean, it's monumental, clown-sized shoes to fill, but who brings that grit and that tenacity to the identity that is the lunch pail defense. Guys, what did you, uh, what did you think, Bill? Uh, I mean, what was really all we heard all week, and rightfully so because it's an unbelievable offense, is how good this Newman kid is. Um, it was going to be a tall task. I have been touting uh, Caleb Farley's praises all season, but um, I mean, 
DBU again was just incredible. One of the best games in run support that uh, probably of his career with uh, Diablo with having nine tackles. Uh, Reggie Floyd was great. Waller was great. They picked on him a little bit early when he first came in the game, but filled in well. Chapman making tackles in open space. I think that's something that we have gotten significantly better than last year. Last year, our tackling was a huge pain point for this football team. Uh, and getting wide receivers in one-on-ones with DBs or needing to fill holes, we always are surely wrapping them up or holding on to them until we can get some help. And as you said, Grayson, the swarm comes and picks it up. But this Newman kid, everybody telling me he's the best quarterback in the ACC. The guy finished with a 29 QBR, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and was out yardage out yardaged by our man Hendon <laughs> Hooker. Our man Hendon Hooker uh, with 12 less attempts, which was awesome. Pat, what'd you see? We made him look very average yesterday. Um, he has a weapon out on the flank in Sage Surratt, who had a very good game. I mean, he had two very impressive touchdown receptions, especially that first one, which was remarkable, just breaking tackles and looking like a an absolute athlete. But we were bringing the pressure. It looked like in the first half, um, you know, we were maybe rushing three or four um, because Waller was not in the game yet. Second half, Garbett, Crawford, Hewitt, um, Eli Adams, Belmar, the entire line just swarming around him, creating ruckus. Uh, you know, QB hurries. To, I mean, both of his interceptions were because of the pressure that was on him. He had to make a quick decision, and it resulted in our benefit. Uh, we, we made him look very average, and it was the classic lunch pail defense that we've been kind of waiting for, and this was the best we've seen all year, and I, I only hope it's going to get better uh, because the improvement has been insane from last season to now i uh i got i got one thing to say uh before we move on gentlemen but um i think we learned from last week in this game as much as that pains me to say it i really think that the boys took what happened last week and made sure to not make the same mistakes again this week failure is is one of the best teachers out there And what they did today, or excuse me, what they did yesterday against Wake Forest was finish. They finished the game. Uh, When Crawford got that interception, we did not score a touchdown there in the the red zone. We had the opportunity. And I I thought to myself, I said, "Uh uh-oh, here we go again. We're going to settle for a field goal, and it's going to come back to bite us. And, and we're, we're going we're gonna to play not to win. That was my big concern. But that did not happen. We did not let it happen twice. We didn't let Notre Dame beat us twice. We go down, we score again. Uh, it's a two-score game. We really put them into a rut. At this point, there's about four minutes, four and a half minutes left. Um, and then we get that interception, Dax Hollifield, right there on, like, the, what, the five-yard line. And James Mitchell walks into the end zone. Another thing that we alluded to here today was dominating on all sides of the ball. And I have to say this, we've had some great special teams games this year, but this game in terms of special teams was unbelievable. And Pat, you were especially fired up about, well, first and foremost, Oscar Bradburn is amazing. We can just float that out there and say that he was incredible. (laughs) 
yesterday. But Pat was super fired up about getting Mr. Robinson uh, back there returning punts. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I, I absolutely love Hezzy, but uh, that that one bobble gave all of us heart attacks. That was whew, uh, <laughs> as I wiped the sweat off my brow. Uh, putting Sweet Feet Tay out there was awesome. <laughs> he was so good. He was setting us up uh, in the best field position we can get. Uh, one of the punt returns he took back to the 50. The other one was like a solid 15-yard return. Uh, but he is just shifty. Him and Keyshawn King are the two shiftiest guys on our roster. Uh, shifty, electric, speedy, agile, whatever adjective you want to use here. When the ball is in their hands in open space, they can absolutely make someone miss. And before you know it, they're breathing that mountain air and they're in the end zone. So I was really, really hyped up to see uh, to see Tavion out there. And uh, King, too. I mean, they both had very, uh, very good punt and kick returns that set us up in awesome field position. I feel like we started very few drives inside our own 20, maybe the first drive of the game. And that might have been it, maybe one or two others. But um, our special teams really set us up nicely. uh, We're going to get one, boys. We're going to get one. Before the end of the season, we're going to get either a punt return or a kick return. I'm feeling it. And I'd love for it to be against UVA, but that's a different conversation. Let's, yeah. t- let's talk Robinson, Friday. Robin, Robinson's the new Strowman back there. That's all. I'm that's gonna right. Do. That would be that's awesome. right. Double-digit Stro. Uh, let's talk awards here. Uh, as far as pride goes for defense, uh, it was really hard to pick one person. Uh, so we all just kind of um, kind of were talking about it. And, uh, the most fitting thing was just the entire defense from the staff, to the kids, to everybody coming together and putting together a complete four-quarter performance like that against, you know, what everybody would say is one of the best offenses in the country was a a joy to watch. I tweeted it last night. I mean, that was just uh, so fun to watch and and just unbelievable um, and uh, kind of, you know, almost storybook type, uh, exactly what you wanted to see. Um, Pat, what did you pick or what did we decide on here for, uh, for the joy award? So the joy award is for special teams. And I mean, really, I was just gushing over these kids. Um, you could give it to anyone, but we, we picked Oscar Bradburn and Tavion Robinson. Uh, they, they were definitely two of the standouts yesterday. Could definitely give some honorable mentions to, uh, to JPR, to Johnson for doing the job. Keyshawn King back there doing kick returns. Uh, but yeah, Bradburn and Ray, uh, and Tavion, we're uh, we're splitting that one 50-50 this week. Oscar Bradburn, man, he was kid's been working on his swing because he's making those uh, he's making those balls sit down. I yeah, mean, they, they, they they hit, and sometimes the tootsie will roll, but the roll will stop right where you need it to. <laughs> Three punts inside of the ten yard line yesterday. I think unbelievable. Did he only punt four times? I be- I believe that that's correct. But every single one of them, it's like, dang, there's no way he can outdo that one. Oh wait, he just outdid he just did. that one. He yep. just did. Tied oh, for man. second. Tied for second in punting in the country. Um, he's averaging just over forty eight yards a-, a punt. We love our Australian punter in we Blacksburg. Sure do. Grayson, give us our uh, Foo Crew Award winner, please. I think it goes without saying. Uh, 
Hendon Hooker, man. It's got to be. He came back. He he sat last week. Um, Puente did not want to play him, which I think in the grand scheme of things, I know I was heated last week. I was. Uh, he was mad, Jack. It was. It, it was it, I was. It was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do to, to keep him healthy going forward. Um, and, and he played like it. He, he didn't seem dinged up at all to me or like the UNC injury was getting to him or anything like that. So uh, besides the, the one turnover that he had, played a very complete game, was a little nervous there because he was really darting the football. I don't know if you guys saw that yesterday. He was throwing. There was power behind mm-hmm. the throws, and I think that caused him to miss a couple guys. But, hey, man, we won the game. The offense was rolling, and uh, you can't roll an offense without the quarterback being the best player on the field. So, got to say, I got a one shout-out here. Uh, Luke Tenuta, our, uh, our field goal blocking cranium specialist, uh, filled, in, <laughs> filled in very admirably for uh, Silas Zanzi, who's been awesome this year. So he was great uh, behind an offensive line that put in an unbelievable performance. And uh, we have a one-timer here, maybe a one-timer. I don't know. It might be something that uh, we continue. But we had a 12th Man Award here. Um, Pat, talk to us about this 12th Man Award that we have. Oh, the 12th Man. So this is kind of silly, but I have to share it. uh, Because (laughs) some people wanted a shout-out, but also it's kind of hilarious. So uh, if you look at Wake Forest's roster, their quarterback, uh, their QB2, his name is Sam Hartman. He hails from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and he was featured um, as, a, as one of the, um, the quarterbacks selected to be on the Netflix series QB1. Uh, it, it was a series that kind of highlights the senior season of uh, highly touted football recruits across the country that are quarterbacks. So uh, for example, Justin Fields, Tate Martell have also been featured on the show. So Sam Hartman was also on the show. And they they go over his entire senior year. And he commits to Wake Forest. And uh, you know the story. Now he's backing up Jamie Newman. So Sam Hartman's uh, in front of four of my friends down, uh, I, I want to say, Section 11 or Section uh, 13 for a good part of the game. And let's just say that uh, Sam was distracted by my female friends for a very large portion of the game to a point where he knew that they were watching him and he was kind of getting other guys on the sideline to look up at my friends. And uh, let's just say that Sam Hartman was a little more distracted and a little more um, focused on the ladies in the front row of section 13 than he was on on the team and maybe that uh that energy radiates out to the rest of the wake forest team i don't know but uh sam you're in the spotlight you're the qb1 guy (laughs) can't be uh can't be looking back at the girls in the front row when you got a big game going on the field but yeah big shout outs to fitz emma d blair and uh callie schaefer you guys brought the uh, brought the distraction, and uh, sorry, Sam. Twelfth <laughs> man award. Not not <laughs> focused on what is important now, Mister uh, Hartman. So might want to might want to figure it the hell out. A um, little bit of more hokey history here from both sides here. Um, Pat, a road to Charlotte here. I want you to just talk about teams that may have not started out 
as uh, as preferentiary as we may have wanted at the beginning of the season, and eventually um, figured it out and are on the road to potentially doing something great. So, Pat, take it away. Yeah, would love to. Uh, would love to detail my preferentiary. Uh, <laughs> if you've been if you've been a long time listener to our podcast, we like to make up words. We like to throw things out there that might not be in uh, Merriam-Webster, but uh, let's run with it here. So, a team I want to focus in on a little bit here is the 2008 team. It was a uh, interesting year. We're coming off an ACC championship the previous year. This was the two quarterback system with Tyrod and Sean Glennon. And we kick off the year against East Carolina in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. And we have the lead most of the game, get cute in the fourth quarter, kind of play not to lose on a drive that we could totally put the game away, end up getting the punt blocked, and they beamer ball us, they take it to the house, and they beat us 27-22. We're all freaking out because uh, Frank had redshirted Tyrod for this second year. So Glenn, Sean Glennon was the starter. And one of the hottest games I've ever attended was that day, August 30th of 2008, but left us in a big uh, air of confusion. We come back, we, Tyrod's red shirt comes off. We take care of business against Furman. We win two back-to-back ACC games against Georgia Tech and North Carolina. 20 to 17, both of those games. Tyrod gets hurt, gets an ankle injury, is back for Nebraska at Lincoln, Nebraska, Memorial Stadium, September 27th. And this was a big one. I mean, Nebraska football is big time. And we have a, a team that we don't really know that much about, other than we've, you know, we're 2 0 in the ACC. We go to Lincoln, we beat them 35 30. And I was there. It was awesome. Grayson was there crazy time i'm sure and then the momentum continues and we beat western kentucky so you know after a tough start we we reel off five straight wins and then we lose the next two to boston college and florida state respectively both away games so a lot's going down we're a hurt team we are five and three and there's still a lot of a lot of football to be played and the Maryland Terrapins stroll in, ranked number 23. They come in on a Thursday night, and they play this wounded Hokie team. And we do exactly what we did yesterday, blow their doors off. Darren Evans runs for 253 yards, which is still the uh, single-game rushing record. We beat Maryland 23-13. to 13, And this kind of turns our season around around in a way so that was november 6th the game saturday was november 9th and then the next three we we take two of three we beat duke we beat uva at home 17 to 14 and before you know it we we are in tampa not charlotte but tampa we play boston college who's ranked number 18 uh starting dominique davis as their quarterback tyrod starts for the Hokies. he gets us the win and uh, we are ACC champions, and then we go beat up Brian Kelly and Cincinnati in Miami in the Orange Bowl. So I, w- I was there too. It was dope. <laughs> it was <there> <laughs> the year of Grayson. I would year of me going to games. <laughs> yeah, 
I went to two games this year. I was at that East Carolina game, and I was at the uh, the Maryland game. But you got to think that the Maryland game uh, in 2008 and the Wake Forest game yesterday, you know, some parallels. Had had a young team, uh, didn't really have an identity, and then uh, we, we really took advantage of Darren Evans. He had a great year in 2008. And um, just seeing this team come together, come together through ACC play, see them clicking like this, uh, it reminds me of that team, and I'm hoping we get the same result. So I think, uh, obviously, the road to Charlotte, we have three big games coming up, and every single game is just as important as the other. Um, obviously, UVA is probably going to be the most important one. Would love to see that one determine the Coastal. But uh, yeah, lo- love, love sharing a little bit of hokey history for you guys because uh, drawing parallels between teams just makes fanhood all that more fun. Grayson, in terms of uh, in focusing in on the next game is the most important one and all these games matter, we play a Georgia Tech team who will not be going to a bowl game um, right. but can absolutely not be taken lightly. Can you hit us with some hokey history on the importance of focusing on what is important now? Exactly. We will call this segment What's Important Now because uh, this is important to remember. Um, Virginia Tech, unfortunately, Fortunately, kind of has a rocky past of winning big games and then the following weekend playing a, I don't want to say not talented opponent, but someone you would never think would beat us. And we ride the high for a little bit too long uh, and end up losing. Uh, I can think of a few examples of this where where it really stung and really shook things up. Uh, the, one of the most recent was uh, in 2016. After we played UNC and we boat raced those clowns in the pouring down rain, Pat and Bill both there for that one. I was not. Big regrets. In the middle of a hurricane, 34-3, the following weekend, we lost – to an unranked Syracuse at the Carrier Dome Ugh. in in a very uh, uh, head scratching fashion. Uh, we 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 were we rode the wave for a little bit too long from that UNC that UNC victory. The worst. Uh, the, the the worst. The other one that I uh, that I think about, uh, and I think more Hokies will remember as well, is in 2014. One of the biggest wins in Hokie history. We beat the Ohio State Buckeyes in the horseshoe. Uh, in national television, huge game. The following weekend, we lose to an unranked East Carolina Pirates team in Lane Stadium. And you're thinking, how does that happen? It's because they, they ride the high. And then a, a farther a farther back, maybe some of our younger audience won't be able to relate to this one as much, but in 2003, after beating Miami, the number two team in the country at the time, give it to me, Roscoe, give it to me, D'Angelo Hall, Brian Randall, one of the most talented teams in Virginia Tech history, they beat Miami the following week, they lose to Pittsburgh at Pitt. And end up losing out the rest of that season. I'm not saying we're going to be losing out, but I think Bill hits the nail on the head. He said they cannot be taken lightly. Georgia Tech, I don't care. I don't care what their record is. They're two and seven right now. They're one and five in the ACC. Regardless of that, 
Fuente is 0-3 against Georgia Tech. For whatever reason, they are our kryptonite. Them in Pittsburgh, for whatever reason. Guess what? We got them back-to-back the, the, the next two weeks. That's who we got. So Georgia Tech, we cannot ride the high of this, of this big victory. We got to win next week. Don't do any overlooking. Take them seriously and win the football game. I will be there. Um, for this game in Georgia Tech, and I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I also wanted to give a quick plug here. The Atlanta Hokies tailgate for the Georgia Tech game. I uh, would love to see you there. Uh, we are still working out where that will be, but it will start three hours prior to kickoff, and you can purchase tickets in the Virginia Tech section for this game at atlantahokies.com slash tickets. Um, so would love to see you out there. That would be awesome. Um, Again, in terms of that, I know we're doing a little bit of a little bit of negativity here, a little bit of just focus on here. Not negativity, but more so focus. Focus, um, yeah. Yeah. Pat has something he really wants to focus on in uh, his weekly get off my lawn rant. And um, I'm just going to pass it to the mic and you can uh, do as you do. It's time for Pat's rant. <laughs> we got to come up with a sick intro for this. <laughs> All right, guys. So this is not the first time I've talked about this. But I think it's worth talking about again just because it's important to me. It's important to you guys. It's important to a lot of people on Twitter. What, what's going on with the students? The North End Zone apparently has some TSA, you know, go through security, wait 30 minutes in line, process to get in there. I've been hearing that. So be it. Stand in the line and do it. A lot of people have been talking about how difficult it is to get in the north end zone, but I don't know how much I buy that because I know a handful of alumni who were in the north end zone yesterday at the game. Alumni. I don't know, like, how are they How are they getting in? And then you got a ton of people who are students complaining about not getting in. I don't know. There's a lot of gray area there. There were a lot of students there at the beginning of the game. And people have been saying, well, they're leaving. Yes, they are leaving. If you look at pictures, if you take a picture at the beginning of the game and you take a picture at halftime, there is a disparity. My question is, is Center Street that fun? Like, are people leaving because they want to go drink and party on Center Street? I lived on Center Street. I lived at 604 Center Street for two years, and it's fun. You know what's more fun? The six games that I'll get to attend each year, and then you come back as an alumni driving four hours each way just to be in Lane Stadium for three hours, and then you got to go all the way home. I'm still ranting about this. Other people say well, it's too cold. It is too cold. I want to go home. I want to go to Sharky's and watch there because it's warmer. What is, with, what is with the generation of students today that it's too cold, but then you, you take another walk down memory lane? Let's take a walk down memory lane of <laughs> conditions that were far worse than yesterday. Yesterday was a walk in the park compared to some of these other games. Texas A&M 2003, hurricane. Hurricane Isabel, maybe? Hurricane, Hurricane Isabel. Hurricane Isabel. Isabel. Craziness. The place was slammed to the brim. Miami 2009. Same exact thing. The JMU game in 2011. I know we don't like to talk about it, but 
if you if you turn on your TV and you watch clips from that game, every single person is wearing a poncho and every single person is in the stadium. Marshall 2013, three overtimes, the exact same thing. The place it was a monsoon and the place was filled. No and one it's left. freaking Marshall. It's not it's an ACC Marshall. game. NC State 2015, same exact thing. Duke 2017, I sound like a broken record at this point. The people stayed. All six of the games that I just rattled off, the students stayed. And yesterday, we were playing a ranked team. This is a super important game. The Coastal is in sight. We can almost (laughs) taste it. It's Bud Foster's last, or not his last game, but he's being honored at this game. This is a big deal. And we were playing our pants off. We were so awesome. Got guys flying around the field. Our offense was clicking. Hendon Hooker should run for president. He is amazing. And people are leaving. It's, it's a generational thing. Like my, my class, I graduated two and a half years ago, and we didn't leave halfway through the game, no matter if it was a game or not. I mean, maybe a, a, some people trickled out, but for the most part, people stayed to the end. You see the, uh, the team goes down and sings Tech Triumph, with the marching Virginians at the end of the game. And it is just sad the amount of students that they get to sing to. There's no one there. It is half full by the time the clock hits three zeros. So it's just disappointing. I, but obviously, we need to fix it. We need to keep these kids here because they're going to be the ones who are filling up the East Stands, the West Stands, the South End Zones when they graduate. So I think a couple things we should talk about. The Wi-Fi. We need to fix the Wi-Fi. Please. Like, it's been a problem for years. Like, it's been a problem since ever. And I don't want to sound like too much of a millennial because, I, you know, I like taking pictures at the game. I'd love to be able to text my parents who are watching the game at home. And it's next to impossible to place a call to my dad who's watching on the couch in New Jersey at halftime just to talk about how the first half was. Um, so... I know it is a huge project, a huge undertaking, but the Wi-Fi, we need to do something about that. I know it's on Wits radar. I know it's extremely expensive, but I feel like that will keep more butts in seats and make the game day experience more pleasurable. That go, it, it all goes without saying. Another thing, selling beer at the stadium is going to help these kids come to the game and stay at the game. <laughs> like You got to call a spade a spade. They're going to want to be able to drink at the game because they want to go drink at center street. They want to go drink at Sharky's or champs or wherever they're going these days. Um, so obviously we, we have alcohol at castle Coliseum now, Mike young, let's go beating Clemson, beating common state people are drinking out of solo cups at, uh, at castle. Let's do it at lane next year. And then the last thing, just to make things better for me, because I don't like getting hit in the head with a paper airplane. It's been happening for years. Don't throw paper airplanes at the ball games. But I'm, I'm going to end my rant now. I hope that wasn't too bad. I don't think any, uh, any students who leave football games early even listen to this podcast. I don't think I have too much to worry about. But that's about it for me this week. We also gave them free pizza, so I really don't think there's a lot of room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, giving out, we're giving out our hard-earned dollars spending this on Benny's. You know, we're, not, we're not giving out Domino's. You know, Benny's mm. is uh, it's some, it's some big-time stuff here. It's good right? pie, man. I would like to speak on this a little bit. So – Pat, all of those games that you listed out, the only one that we're not even going to talk about is uh, the 2010 JMU game, because whatever. But all, all of those games, the Miami 2009, I was there. 
Marshall 2013, I was there. NC State 2015, I was there. Duke 2017, I was there. All of those games stick out in my mind because they were fun. They were fun. The weather, yes. When you the weather when you win, that makes it that it's a story it's more to fun. tell. Yeah, it's a story to tell, man. You got the players after the Duke game in 2017, mudsliding, mudsliding on the turf, going like 15 yards. I am soaked. In 2009 of the Miami game, I, I it was so wet that it was uncomfortable to sit down. But yet again, why would you want to? Because we boat raced them 31 to seven. Everybody in there is high. Like, and for that game, student session was packed, absolutely packed, and it pouring down rain. So I don't. I think you're right, Pat. I think it's a generational thing. I understand wanting to drink and being in college and all that stuff. I get it. But if you're if, if it's the weather that's keeping you out of the student section, oh boys. Well, does this generation just not like watching football? I'm I'm dead serious. No, no, no. That might that I I very question. much consider that. I've, I I consider that. I, I don't It's almost like it was the class of 2019. That, that was, was the last. last. That was like the last group of students who I know, at least, who were like really bought into the football program and really bought into Hokie athletics. Um, but any any grade beneath that, like class 2020, 2021, 22, they just, I, I just don't think they're about it. I gotta say though, you gotta let, let's be honest. They did pack out Castle. Uh, for the basketball game, and you know, at the end of the day, okay, I think, devil's advocate. Uh, well, I'm just playing devil's advocate. They did pack it out. They did sell out season tickets. I think another thing that needs to be said as well is that that's a realistic question. I think the way that 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 kids consume content now is much different and is changing very very fast. If you ask the typical kid if they're sitting down on a couch and there's a football game on on the television, how much time, how much screen time? Are you spending watching the actual football game, and how much screen time are you reading about what people are saying about it after each play, and and social yep. texting about it, or or looking at other games? So I think that's a very interesting case study to to kind of analyze. I mean, that look at baseball. Baseball is having a huge problem with that, and it's a uh, granted, it's in my opinion a much less engaging uh, event. Exactly. So, uh, but hey, what did uh, baseball start doing? Selling beer at the at the stadiums. So, and I had a ton of fun going to English Field. That was great. So. Shout out to the baseball team. Um, And I don't even think it's like this, you know, boys rule, girls rule. There's none of that dynamic. No. Like, I have so many friends who are females who love the Hokies, man. Diehards. Die for the boys on the field. The Logan Rosses, the Courtney Adams, like the, I I don't know, the Riley Wyatts, all all those people. Kids, prove us wrong. Seriously, prove us wrong. Like, if you want to be mad at us and everything, that's great. But show up. Like, it would be great. I would love to say, like, how great were the students at the last game? How great were this? How great was that? I, I would love that. So don't take this as us, like, hating on you or anything. Just, like, we'd love to see it because that's what it's been for so long. Because Yeah, it's I, – I don't think there's any – this isn't us calling anyone out or being like, oh, man, these kids suck. No, it's like, guys, you're missing something here. Mm-hmm. Like, you really are missing out. 
Like you, we got a good thing going right now. We're six and three. We just beat our first ranked opponent in Lane Stadium for the first time in ten years. That's awesome. That's a huge deal. And I, I think it's easy for me to say it's a huge deal because I've been a fan my entire life. So it's someone who just chose Tech because it's a great school and hasn't been a Hokie their entire life maybe won't appreciate that as much. So I do see that. I do understand that. But at the same time, it's like, 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 look at Alabama's student section. They're bought in. They're completely bought in. Ohio State student section bought in. Like, we were a good football program. That logo means something in the college football world. We are a relevant program. There's no reason, in my opinion, that, we should be, I know some people don't like it when we cuss on here, but I'm going to do it, half-assing our student section. I'm going to disagree there. Um, I'm going to say that um, it's it's kind of an, not an epidemic, but it's been a problem across college football uh, student sections. Students aren't showing up to the games. I mean, Notre Dame didn't fill up their student section last week. We saw that firsthand. Nick Saban had to call out Alabama students for leaving in the fourth quarter during blow, blowouts. So, um I think it's an across college football epidemic with the generation that is in college right now. Um, And then just before we put this this to bed here, uh, before we had won any ACC games, people were leaving the games early and everyone's like, well, they deserve a better product on the field. They deserve a better product. You can't you can't blame them for leaving. Well, the good product has arrived and people are still leaving. So impress us and stay for four quarters because we'd love to see it. Cause that's what we used to do. Kicking it into high gear here. Um, coming towards the end here. I got one last thing that I want to quick semi, uh, get off my lawn thing. The live stream of post game locker rooms going on in college football. We just saw this and I retweeted the coach Orgeron post Alabama speech. I love watching. I love seeing that content. Pat, I'm sure you love seeing it. Grace, I'm sure you love seeing it. Anybody that loves college sports and, and just sports in general loves seeing that. That has no business on the internet. And I'm really glad that something like that has not come out on the Virginia Tech side of things. A post-game locker room, the fact that somebody would live stream the ten to 8 to 10 minutes that a team spends after winning a, an emotional football game or any football game for that matter – uh, and sharing that, that's not for everybody else. That's not for, you know, the typical fan, the alumni, anybody, anybody. Um, that team, that LSU team, for example, uh, spent eight years losing to Alabama. They spent all summer working to win this game. Spent all year working to get this done, get this done, get this done. And you finally get it done. And coaches are going to say what they're going to say. Kids are going to say what they're going to say. And people are probably going to have a problem with some of it. But it has no business being public public information or publicly available. Um, I don't know if that sounds kind of like old guy-ish, but that, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. Really glad that we haven't seen that um, on the Virginia Tech end. So um, that's just something that's driven me crazy. And you know what? If Antonio Brown's doing it and he got in trouble for it when he was on the Steelers, hey, maybe don't do that. I mean, <laughs> did we not learn from that two years ago? So that drove me nuts. Um, all right, guys. Rapid fire here for the questions here. Um, first, letters from the lunch pail question from Jesse Dix. How important was the win over Wake Forest for the overall state of the program? Uh, Pat, go ahead. Two huge wins in a row at home that really 
will affect the next few years for this program. I mean, a six-overtime win over Carolina, and then the Wake Forest win. You get your six-overtime win over a recruiting battle rival um, in the next state over, and then you beat a team from the same state who is ranked. You beat your first-ranked team in 10 years. Huge win. Had we lost that game, you know, that that's two losses in a row. That could be a domino into next week at Georgia Tech. This was an absolutely uh, massive win for the boys just because – you beat the ranked team, but also uh, in all three aspects of the game, we completely delivered, and we did it for Bud. And, yeah, that's that's what I got there. I mean, it was awesome. Hashtag our homecoming queen, Beth Barnes, who was rocking the Bud suit uh, in Blacksburg at Tots, live in action. It was awesome. Uh, asks, why did Stick It In get banished again, Grayson? Oh, man. I heard about this, y'all. We need answers. I I heard there was a term. Okay. So, with Babcock, if you brought it back for one game only to pull it a couple of weeks later, there was a term that I'm thinking of but cannot say on here. Uh, But don't do that. Don't do that. If you're going to bring it back, it better be back for good. And I hope you didn't get in trouble or whatever. But uh, bottom line is this. I will be devastated if it's not here to stay. There's nothing wrong with stick it in. End of rant. Boyd McCarter, uh, is the Fire Fuente train permanently derailed? I think I speak for everybody here that the Fire Fuente people, even after the Notre Dame game or, or, or up to two to three weeks ago, I was never on that train. I can understand why some folks were on that train, but if you're still touting that line or, or curious about that, or even it's a thought in the back of your head, that's absolutely and utterly ridiculous. Do either of you have differing opinions? The Fire Fuente train, if that train even left the station, it was put back in the station seven days after the Duke game, or eight days after Duke, after we beat Miami uh, on the road. Um, that's about it. The only train people should be riding right now is the Hendon Hooker train. I'm on the express, and uh, Grayson's the conductor. That's right, baby. Hendon Hooker, take us to the promised land, kid. Grant Watson asked about the Keyshawn King effect on offense. Uh, I have to say this. Keyshawn King has shows in spurts his explosiveness and his upside and has a bunch of potential and is great on special teams. But let's not over... Not overvalue, but over kind of gas up his effect on the offense. I think he's great. I think he adds another dynamic. But again, we're talking about seven carries for 35 yards. I think a better way to look at it is this guy is definitely the future at the tailback position. Any of any of y'all want to weigh in on that? He was he was looking like and Pat. I think you can allude to or you can respect this as well. Henry Scud had tweeted that he saw uh, his little cut that he did there. Uh, and it reminded him of David Wilson. I'm sorry, Henry. I could not disagree more. I think it was it emulated Ryan Williams, the shiftiness of a number 34, Rue Ryan Williams. Um, he used to make cuts like that all the time. And what comes after 34, the number 35? How poetic! Yeah, that's a good poem. Uh, I will co-sign there. You watch the 2009 Miami game, the one in the rain we've been talking about. Ryan Williams did several of those cuts, uh, breaking ankles 
and ACLs all over the field. So I will co-sign with you, Grayson. Uh, I think more of a more of a Ryan Williams type uh, effect there. We'll uh, we'll wrap on this instead of a get up, get off my lawn. How about get off our tune? Boise State has no business playing stick it in. Uh, you guys play in a blue field. Uh, you guys play after ten thirty. Um, you barely beat Wyoming. Really not trying to hear any of that. Um, so uh, yeah, just it's don't ours. don't do that. that. That's intellectual property, and I think uh, I think we could take them to court. So how about you not do that? And they didn't even do it well. They did some like variation of it, and it sucked. All right, everybody, we're gonna do a Georgia Tech preview later in the week on Twitter. I promise this time. I know we we dropped the ball there last week, but it is what it is. Georgia uh, Georgia Tech preview coming on the Twitter accounts. You can follow us at Sons of Sat. Same thing with uh, Instagram and Facebook. We will put it out on all channels. Looking forward to it, fellas. This was a blast. Awesome episode. Um, any any parting words? Go Hokies. We beat a ranked team. And uh, I, I guess the only thing I can think of is that episode of SpongeBob after uh, it's it's the chocolate episode where the green fish finally chases them down and he's laughing hysterically and just goes, ha, 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 finally! <laughs> that, that's how I feel. Finally! <laughs> We've beaten the ranked team in Lane Stadium. Pat, what you got? You got anything else to add, man? That chocolate tastes pretty good, man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag stay in your lane. Hashtag beat GT. Hashtag Mike Young era. Shout out to the basketball boys. 2-0. We're rolling. Pat loves his guy. He's our Mike guy. Young, baby. <laughs> Beaver and sneakers. Love him. Love, Love him. him, man. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Peace. Why are you so-